Our goal should be to equip one another, whether we're six months old, whether we're 60 years old, to have the kind of faith that actually endures. And that's the theme of the book of Hebrews that we have been going through. And I want to I open up with seven questions which are baptismal questions. These are questions that you ask the candidate as they are ready to be baptized. Now, these are not questions that we ask here at Grace Community Church. These are questions that are commonly asked for those that are in the house church movement on the other side of the world in China. So what kind of faith endures? It's the kind of faith that can answer the following questions. This is the theme of what we're going to look at this morning. Seven baptism questions in the Chinese house church. Number one, are you willing to leave home and lose the blessings of your father? Number two, are you willing to lose your job? Number three, are you willing to go to the village of those who persecute you, forgive them, and share the love of Christ with them? Number four, are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Number five, are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Number six, are you willing to go to prison? And number seven, are you willing to die for Jesus? Now, it's not a trick question, so don't overthink it. In this context, who are the individuals that these questions are asked to? They're baptismal candidates. Are they young in the faith or mature in the faith? They're just starting. These are entry-level questions. Entry-level questions. Now, to answer those questions, you have to have the kind of faith that's going to endure under intense persecution. And they know something of intense persecution. I think here in the West, we don't. And consequently, we know nothing of persecution. And consequently, our faith maybe is not as strong. The author of Hebrews is writing to a group of people Uh, Jewish background believers who are under intense persecution. Um, They are being imprisoned. They are losing their property. It's a very, very difficult struggle. And they're being tempted to to drop back from their faith, to not be as strong about Christ and kind of go back to the Judaism minus Jesus. So the Judaism of old who looked forward to a Messiah but doesn't recognize that Jesus is that Messiah. Because if they could stay there, they could avoid persecution. And so the author of Hebrews is, is, is pleading, admonishing with them to hold fast, to hold fast. And so we are going to look this morning at the rest of Hebrews chapter 11. Last week, we looked at the kind of faith that endures. Two things about that faith. This was last week. We looked at, first of all, uh, the nature of that faith. What is it? What is belief? What's the nature of belief? The second thing we looked at last week was the object of that faith. What do we believe in? So that's what we did last week. Today, we're going to look at three things in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 6 through 40. First of all, what enduring faith does? Faith does something. What enduring faith does? Secondly, what enduring faith secures, what it obtains. And the third thing we're going to look at is, how do we get it? How do we get this enduring faith? So open up your Bibles. We're going to cover the rest of the chapter, all of the chapter, 40 verses, but I want to just sort of read here um, 10 verses, starting with chapter 11, verse 6. 
Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events uh, yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a place to receive an inheritance. And as he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, have acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Father, we are coming to you in faith this morning. Spirit, we recognize that apart from you, we can't understand, let alone apply what what it is that's here in the Scripture. Thank you for inspiring it. Spirit, speak to our hearts. um, Enliven our hearts. Give us faith. For those who do not yet believe, I pray that you would call them to faith. That those who do, I pray that you would strengthen their faith. But Lord, give us enduring faith so that we might praise you all the ends of our days, that Christ might be exalted and glorified. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay. What enduring faith does. That's where we're going to start. What enduring faith does. Let's take a look at the text. We're starting in verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Those who seek him. So uh, what does faith do? It obeys. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You will obey my commandments. Now, notice here in, in, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it refers to drawing near and seeking. If you believe, if you have faith, you do draw near. You do seek. Drawing near and seeking does something. It's not passive. We have a tendency, we have a tendency to equate faith with intellectual assent. So we agree with certain historical truths about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, faith is not less than intellectual assent, but it's much more. Faith takes that intellectual agreement and then actually does something with it. It draws near, it seeks, it obeys. Let's take a look at a summary of verses 4 through 31. So by faith, Abel offered. By faith, Enoch was taken. By faith, Noah constructed. By faith, Abraham went. By faith, Sarah received. By faith, Abraham offered. By faith, Isaac invoked. By faith, Jacob blessed. By faith, Joseph directed. By faith, Moses was hidden. 
by his parents. By faith, Moses refused to receive the blessing of being associated to be an Egyptian prince. By faith, Moses left. By faith, Israel crossed the Red Sea. By faith, Israel marched around Jericho seven times. By faith, Rahab hid the spies. So all of these people in 40 verses are are championed as these are the examples of faith. This is an example of people who had enduring faith. Now, all of them intellectually assented that there was a God and this God made promises. And the evidence that they assented and actually really truly believed is the fact that they did something. They actually did something. Abraham was told by God, I have called you out. Go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. So how do we know that Abraham believed? He went. He actually left his home and went. This is the pattern of faith. Faith that believes does. Faith that truly believes does. Faith by contrast, if it's by itself, this is in James chapter 2, so also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, if it doesn't seek, if it doesn't draw near, if it doesn't do anything, what, is, what does the Bible say that faith is? It's dead. It's dead. And you say, James even makes the point. He says, even the demons believe that there is one God and they shudder. The demons' faith is a believing faith in the sense that it ascends and owns the intellectual truths. But there's no trust there. There's no trust. And so this kind of faith, which believes, quote-unquote, but does not act on that belief, James is saying, that's not real faith. Now, here's why this is important. In our nation, in Western civilization, we place a great deal of emphasis on the intellect and what it is, the object of our faith, and we should. But we minimize the... It's almost like the the evangelical church is allergic to good works. Faith without works isn't faith. It's not real faith. The kind of faith that's going to endure is faith that actually does something. Now, let me just make a qualification here. This is not referring to perfect obedience. Here's what the author of Hebrews is not saying. The author of Hebrews is not saying, listen, you have to perfectly obey. Read Hebrews 11 again. There are some epic, colossal failures in that list. I mean, some of the things that they did in disobedience, they'd make a sailor blush. There there are things in... they, They are not perfect people. They are not perfect people. So... You can just read Genesis and, and, and all the people that are listed there in Hebrews chapter 11. You can come over with, man, it's amazing that God just didn't just like thump those people because they're knuckleheads. And yet, their faith endured. It's not about one-time failure. It's, about a, it's a life which is, con, which is defined by continuing trust and moving forward. That's why Hebrews 11.6 says, drawing near and seeking. Abraham was drawing near and seeking. He wasn't doing it perfectly. And so so trusting God and having faith that works is not faith that works without flaw. We're all fallen creatures. But it is faith that works. So, question. Why does some faith endure while others who have quote-unquote faith 
Why does it not endure? Over the last number of weeks, as we've been going through Hebrews, I've given you many illustrations of individuals who uh, were at seemingly strong in their faith, even people that were in vocational ministry, pastors, evangelists, and then somewhere down the line, these individuals, their faith did not endure. They fell away, and not only did they fall away, they renounced Christ. So what kind of faith endures? What's the difference between the kind of faith that, that, that endures and, and perseveres and the kind of faith which intellectually ascents and then falls away, drifts, and, and crashes on the, on the rocks along the shore? What, what's the difference? And I think the difference is expectations. I think the difference is expectations. What enduring faith secures? This speaks to Hebrews 11, verse 6, the reward. So without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near. That's moving. That's acting. Draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So these individuals who have enduring faith are expecting something. They're longing for something. They are expecting something. Since I've been in ministry, I've done a lot of weddings over the last 20-some years. And when that young couple makes their vows before God and man, they have a certain expectation of what life is going to be like when they get married. And then those expectations are dashed on the rocks of reality within one to seven years of their marriage. Now, there's, there's nervous laughter in the room. And those who are laughing and they have no problem laughing are those who have been married for longer than seven years. Those with nervous laughter are those who just got married or are getting married. And the thought is that this marriage is going to bring me happiness. And it does for a while. And then you find out that your expectations are not being realized. And sometimes, sometimes those expectations are not realized to a degree that your marriage causes you great pain and you want out. And this is is all too common. And you know of what I speak. Now, those of you that push through and you endure... And you get through those times because you're, even though you're not receiving what you want from your spouse, you endure and you double down on trusting God and you by faith love them and care for them even though you, they don't seem like they're reciprocating. You get through those hard times and you grow in strength and love. But if your expectation is temporal happiness, you'll bolt. You'll leave. And many people do. Many people do. So let's take a look at what what is this reward? This is important. What are these expectations? What is the reward? First of all, here's what it's not. It's not temporal or immediate. It's not temporal or immediate. I've, I've spoken unkindly of a particular book for many, many years. And today I'm going to drop the book on the pavement, roll over it with a bus, and then back over it with the bus and then roll over it with a bus again. So if you're a fan of the book, I'm sorry. Mm, Not really. Um, It's important, though, that you understand why I'm not sorry. Uh, The book is Your Best Life Now. Just let's look at the text. The text. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. All of these died in faith, not having received the things promised. They died without receiving the things promised. That's pretty clear cut. 
having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. Their best life was not now. They didn't expect their best life to be right now. If they did, they would have gone back. They would have not endured. Take a look at verse 39. 39. A summary of the whole chapter. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Their best life was not now. They did not receive what was promised. If their expectations were that they had to receive joy, well, joy, not joy, happiness, everything they wanted at the moment, they would not have endured. That's a, one of the major points of Hebrews chapter 11. So it's not, it's not temporal. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with one or wanting temporal or immediate happiness. There is something wrong with demanding it. Because if you demand it, you will not endure in your faith. You won't. Happiness and joy are not equivalent. You can be unhappy and yet have the joy of the Lord. Because you recognize that you are longing for something which you are not going to obtain in this life. What is it then? The reward is a future hope. Look at verse 35. Verse 35. I'll back it up to 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. Key phrase. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. Some were tortured. So not everybody didn't receive something good here. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might obtain or rise again, rather, to a better life. Some of your versions, your Bible say, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. The reward is a future hope. Now look at verse 40 here. All of these, verse 39, though commended through their faith, didn't receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from them, they should not be made perfect. That's a reference to us being united in Christ. So all of these believers, past tense, in the book of Genesis, throughout the life of Israel, they never received ultimately the promise that they were, they were given. But that promise was ratified in the coming of Jesus in his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and his gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, everything that they were promised could not come to fruition until Jesus gave himself for the church and for them, past tense, and for us, future tense. They couldn't be perfected apart from us. That's the reward, is the future hope. Now, let's move on to the application here. How do we get this kind of hope? How do you and I secure that kind of hope? Some of you right now, you're not happy. You're not happy. You are in a difficult relationship and you are wavering in your faith. Some of you are suffering physically and God has, quote unquote, let you down. You have not received the answers to your prayer. 
Some of you come from families where you are mocked from your faith and it's very, very difficult for you to stand firm in the strength and the power of the Lord. And you are wavering and you're not sure. Some of you are in college and you're surrounded by people that belittle and mock your faith and you're not sure. You're not sure if you can stand up to that kind of pressure. How, how do we get that kind of faith? Where does it come from? What, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Three things. How do we get this enduring faith? Number one, ask for it. Ask for it. The reference here is Luke chapter 17, verse 5. The apostles said to Jesus, give us faith. Increase our faith. Now, why would they ask for an increase of faith? Because they recognized their faith was weak. That's not a problem. That's not a bad thing. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you'll be able to say to this mountain, go cast yourself into the sea. One of my favorite verses on wavering faith is Mark chapter 9. Dad brings his demon-possessed boy who keeps having seizures and being throws himself into the fire and, and just, it's just awful. And he brings his, his child to the disciples, Jesus, James, and John. And Peter are up on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. So he brings them uh, to the other disciples and they can't. They can't cast the demon out. And Jesus comes along and says, what's going on? He says, I brought my son to your disciples and they can't help him. If you can do something, will you help? And Jesus says, if I can do all things for the one who believes. And I love what this guy says. It's so schizophrenic and so honest. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. That's perfect. That's perfect. It acknowledges, I, I do believe you, Jesus, but I, I'm so weak in my faith. Would you help me overcome my, would you increase my faith? The first thing we need to do is ask. We have not because we don't ask. And this is the issue. You think that your faith is simply intellectually assenting to a body of data points about historical Jesus. It's not less than that, but it's more. It's trusting in the historical Jesus who is alive. You say, but... I wrestle with my faith. So do I. So do they. And they said, increase my faith. So start with asking. Secondly, die to your agenda. Die to your slash our agendas. Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Then the disciple, Jesus told his disciples, this is verse 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We have to ask for faith, number one. But secondly, we've got to die to our agendas. If we're not willing to die to our agendas, we will not endure in our faith. And Jesus is setting up the disciples so they understand that. You guys need to know clearly You've got to take up your cross and follow me. You cannot have an agenda. If you have an agenda, you will not persevere. Your agenda needs to be my agenda. My agenda is the cross. So let's get to the text here in Hebrews and, and take a look at how that works. Take a look at the, how that works. Um, verse 32 and 35. Starting with verse 33, sorry. Who, through faith... 
These people conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. That's a key phrase. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight and women received back their dead by resurrection. So sometimes, sometimes faith, faith, well, faith always looks like the weak being made strong and sometimes it looks like our agendas actually coming to fruition. When Daniel whose referenced here was cast in the lion's den, his agenda was not to become a happy meal. That was his agenda. So he prayed. And what did God do? Shut the mouths of the lions. When David, as a shepherd boy, stepped on the battlefield with five rocks and a sling and faced a nine-foot warrior, his agenda was not to be skewered. And God gave him deliverance. So sometimes... Uh, being made strong out of weakness means our agendas for God come to fruition. That's what they look like. Sometimes. Look at the reference here to verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now, the individuals that are reading the book of Hebrews for the very first time, it's not a trick question. Who are they? They're Hebrews. They're Jewish background believers. They are intimately familiar with the Jewish history. And Hebrews 11 is a highlight reel of Jewish history. Now, when he says women receive back to their dead, they are immediately thinking of two different accounts. One in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 22. The other in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 35. This is the account of Elijah with the widow and her dead son whom he prays over, and he comes back to life. He's dead. Now he's not. The other is the account of Elisha, Elijah's protege, who has a similar encounter with a widow's son who is dead, and Elisha prays over him, actually lays himself out on top of him and prays over him, and he comes back to life. That's happy Mother's Day, right? You have two grief-stricken moms who are widows and they've lost their sons and God was made strong. They were made strong out of their weakness and they, by faith, received back their boys. And that's what it looks like sometimes. I started ministry in 1997 and right out of the gate, I was speaking at a, at a, a college conference at UNI on campus there and get a call from my wife, Stacy and said, we had to take Ryan to the hospital. So I canceled all my endeavors there, and I went there. And Long story short, his kidneys stopped working at the age of five. They just quit. And we were at Mercy Hospital, and they couldn't figure it out. They thought, oh, maybe he has a strep infection in his kidneys. Nope, it's not that. Maybe it's this. Nope, it's not that. So they, said they, they punted, and they sent him to the University of Iowa, where the uh, uh, pediatric kidney specialist could look at him. And, and so they did a battery of tests. And then within two or three days, they came back and they said, your son has Wagner's disease. What is Wagner's disease? Wagner's disease is an autoimmune disease where the body confuses the kidneys and the lungs and thinks they are foreign substances, so the body attacks them. Like, okay, well, what's the cure? There isn't one. We're going to start your boy 
on massive doses of steroids. And then maybe someday he'll be a candidate for a kidney lung transplant. I remember leaving the hospital room and wandering through the halls of the University of Iowa Hospital saying, God, I've given you my life. I'm serving you. What do you, why, what do you want from us? And so Stacy and I, we prayed and we said, Lord, he's your child. We give him back to you, but we ask that you heal him. And the church began to pray. This is back when we were a very, very small church and, and other churches began to pray. I was getting emails from people that I didn't even know all over the country said they were praying for my son and my father at the time who was not a believer said, for what it's worth, I'm praying my butt off. It's not what he said, <laughs> but we are on tape. And they did a biopsy and they came back the next day and they said, well, we did a biopsy and his kidneys are, there's no visible damage. And he was healed. And they sent him home. And he's going to celebrate his 30th birthday this week. And they said, it couldn't have been Wagner's because you can't get better from Wagner's. Or maybe it was, and God simply raised the dead to life. So sometimes faith looks like God giving us our agenda. Sometimes. But keep reading. There were women who received back the dead by the resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, and they went about in skins of sheep, goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, all of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Now again, remember the original recipients of this letter are Jews and they know the Jewish history. So they knew the story of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. They knew the widow's sons. They know the stories. Right afterwards, some were tortured. They would have made immediately the connection to another very, very famous Jewish story that most of us are unfamiliar with because it's not in our Bibles. In the second book of Maccabees, the time between the last prophets in the New Testament and the time between the coming of Christ, there was a very cruel and ruthless world leader called Antiochus Epiphanes. He was an awful human being. And he came into Jerusalem and he demanded that the Jews worship foreign gods. And he would bring Jews into the temple and he sacrificed a pig in the temple. And then he would force these Jews to renounce their face and, and eat, eat pork, which is forbidden. And there's a story in 2 Maccabees chapter 7 of a widow and her seven sons. And in 2 Maccabees chapter 7, it accounts that this widow and her seven sons are brought to the temple. And Antiochus asks each one of these sons, one by one, to renounce their faith as the whole family looks on and eat pork. The first son would not do so. And so he cut out his tongue 
and he lopped off his limbs and he threw him in a giant frying pan and roasted him alive as his mother and his six brothers watched and he refused to deny his faith. One by one, Antiochus did this to the next son, to the third son, to the fourth son, to the fifth son, to the sixth son. And the mother in faith told the seventh son, God knit you together in my womb and he gave you his, your limbs and he gave you your tongue. Now you give them back to him. Sometimes faith does not look like our agenda coming to fruition. That same year my son was sick, my wife got sick as well. And we went to this doctor and that doctor and this doctor and another doctor. And then six years later, we went to an emergency room trip to Mercy and they said, it's psychosomatic. There's nothing we can do for you, but we'll give you an MRI. And the results of the MRI came back. The neurologist said, it's not psychosomatic. You have lesions in your brain. There's something wrong to which I will not share in a sermon what I thought. But eventually she was diagnosed with Lyme disease. And that got better, sort of. And then two knee replacements. And then a failed knee replacement. And then damaged nerve. And then migraines. And then back surgery. My wife is like the woman who tried to reach out to touch Jesus' cloak. But she can't get a hold of it. 23 years we have prayed for a relief in pain and 23 years the answer has been no. Sometimes our agendas are given to us and sometimes God's agendas does not match mine. Sometimes you're tortured and sometimes you celebrate. But the faith that endures is not set on getting our agendas fulfilled. This is so crucial that we don't miss this. Tim Keller puts it this way. Their faith, that is the individuals in Hebrews 11, their faith was not in their agenda for God. This is is crucial. Their their, Their faith was in God. Their faith was not in their agenda for God. Their faith was in God. There is a huge difference. If my faith is in my agenda, the way that I think God should use me, I don't know that I can follow him. But it's not. If your faith is in God's perfect plan for you, according to you, Let me just burst your bubble. It won't work. It's not going to work. None of these received what they were promised in this life. That's the point. Some of them had great success. Some of them suffered greatly, but none of them received the promise in this life. So number one, ask for this faith. Number two, die to your agenda. Die to your agenda. And then third, look up 
and the head. These individuals were not concerned with the here and now. They endured because they were looking forward. They endured because they were looking forward. Look at Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, verse 39 and 40. And all of these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from them they should not be made perfect. This is a reference to what you and I as Christians and what these Hebrew Christians had through Jesus. Jesus gave his life. He fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law. He received our sin, and therefore we are justified in Christ. We are declared not guilty and righteous before God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have been knit together in unity. He is a seal, a guarantee for our, for our redemption. All of these things are ours in Christ. And all of those promises that they were given couldn't come to fruition until Christ. That's why the author of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, which we'll look at next week, says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Turn in, the, in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, that is, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And with Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He's saying, listen, the reward of your faith isn't in temporal success. And Bless God and thank Him if you experience good health and prosperity and, 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 and prosperity. That's not a bad thing. But if you're setting your eyes on those things, which you will lose anyway, you will not endure. And that's why Paul says, don't set your eyes or keep your mind on things that you're, you, can, you can lose, but set them above where Christ is seated. Set them on the things you can't lose. Why did these women, this woman, allow her seven sons to be tortured and, and exhort them not to lose their faith? Because she was hoping for a better resurrection. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, I don't consider my sufferings worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed in and through us when Jesus returns. When we set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and the reward that comes with his return, we can endure. If we don't, we won't. Enduring faith is found in the person of Christ who endured death for you and I. As we close, we think about looking up. I want you to mark your calendars for June 11th. 6.30, it's a Friday night. We're going to have an outdoor time of prayer and praise, a concert in the backyard there. It's a time where we will thank the Lord 
and we will look to be encouraged and encourage one another. It's a time when we will look up and we will pray for the people in our lives who don't yet have faith in Christ that God has put around each and every one of us. It's our desire that we would see a thousand people come to know Jesus in the next five years. That's going to require that we look up and look out and pray for those that God has put in our lives. And it'll be a time that we look forward towards being equipped and equipping one another to have that enduring faith. So mark that in your calendars. You're going to hear more about that as the day approaches, but let's look to him to strengthen our faith. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that while we are sometimes, maybe too often, faithless, you are always faithful. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith. We pray, Lord, that you would grant faith to those who are are struggling to believe. Lord, bring those who are not yet followers of you into the kingdom that they might know you, that they might love you, and they might receive your blessing. Jesus, we thank you that you've given your life for us. Lord, help us to live for you because you died for us. Grant us faith. Help us to die to our agenda and help us to keep our eyes set on you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. God bless, go in grace. We'll see you next week.